This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Firminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today we welcome Lauro, David, Chartrain del Valle, del Valle, del Valle, del Valle, Laro. That's me. Chartrain del Valle. I'm going to call you Lash or or Laro to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Laro is a stunt performer, stunt actor, stunt coordinator, stunt double, stunt consultant, stunt motorcyclist, director, producer, writer. Seriously, what doesn't this guy do? According to IMDb, Laro has upwards of 400 credits, which I think is the most of anyone who's ever sat in our studio. He's won seven Leo Awards, as well as the John Giuliani Award for Excellence from UBCP Actra. Laro initially found success as a stunt performer after his time as a competitive martial artist. He was invited into Stunts Canada in 1995, and he quickly moved up the ranks to become one of the most sought-after action designers and second-unit directors in the industry. Now, Laro has transitioned into the roles of writer, director, and producer. And what is the name of your company? I have a few companies. <laughs> so there's one that my son and I started together called Two Chart Productions. Okay, that's the one I got here. Yeah, because there's two Chartrans in there, right? Oh, and, uh, oh, very clever. I have another one called Del Valle Films, Inc. Okay. Yeah, and Bullseye Stunts, Inc., which is mainly for my stunt company. Right? Wow. And um, Wait, there's more? Oh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> my accountants are bugging me. They're like, oh, we can't keep track of all these companies. And Red Creek Films, which is uh, specifically for a Western that I wrote that's uh, in development right now. Fantastic. So we'll talk about that more later. We will. And yeah. I'm not done. So let me keep saying what I have to say. So usually I write these thesis statements off the cuff after interviewing someone numerous times over the years. But I've got to admit up front that I've never interviewed Laro before, which is ludicrous to me. I've wanted to. He's certainly been on my radar for years. And he was put on my radar by someone who is familiar to listeners of the YVR Screen Scene podcast because I've spoken of him many times before. The late great actor and stunt performer Darren Shalavi. Darren spoke very highly of Laro. He said that Laro, who he called Lash, was someone we should pay attention to. And so I'm delighted to welcome this friend, one of my dearest friends, here today, and finally take a deep dive into the origin story of this remarkable artist, Laro. 
Lash, welcome <laughs> to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. <sighs> it's a pleasure to have you here. Finally. Why haven't we done this before? I, I really don't know. And um, I think I know. Because, and I, I know this after looking at your 400 plus credits on IMDb, <laughs> you are a very, very busy human being. I do work a lot. Yeah. I mean, some say too much, but I think that's impossible because I do what I love and so it's never work. Yeah. yeah. Now, how do you describe yourself? Depends what, uh, what circles I'm in and what I'm, t- <laughs> what I'm doing at the time, you know, because uh, as you mentioned, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies and a lot of different areas of the business. Uh, from stunts all the way up to uh, directing and producing. So um, it just depends what my focus is on, and that can be at any given hour of the day because I I try to focus on different points of my career throughout the day. So today, on a Tuesday at 12.08 p.m. in Kitsilano, Vancouver, B.C., in the YVR Screen Scene Podcast Studio, who are you today? I am a stunt coordinator today because I'm doing a uh, movie of the week over on Vancouver Island called Pearl in the Mist. And I'm on my way right after this over there to do the first stunt meeting of the show. And then we get into the tech scout in the production meeting. And then we start designing the stunts and and the schedule and everything like that. So that's where my that's the hat I have on today. That's the hat you have on. And also probably why you asked for coffee (laughs) as soon as you got here. Okay, so if you've listened to the podcast, which I I believe you have, because I asked you and you said you had. Um, you know that we like to do a little, we like to start with a little bit of time travel. Uh, so you get to choose your time travel. Ha- tra- have you done a time travel film? I'm sure you have, or a time travel TV um, show or? Yeah, but nothing, nothing. <laughs> a specific name doesn't jump out my head right away. I okay. Mean, I've worked on so many shows and movies and you tend to even forget some of them until somebody was, hey, remember when you did that gag on that show? When did I do that? Oh, that was on this. And then all of a sudden it comes back to you. But I have hit my head a lot and it rattles your memory. That's kind of like time travel. Well, um, what is your time travel vehicle of choice then? Time travel vehicle of choice. Well, right now it's my Dodge Challenger. (laughs) (laughs) I I tend to go too fast in that and uh, travel through time quite quickly. Okay, so then we're going to put a flux capacitor in the Dodge Traveler, you said? Challenger. Challenger. We're going to travel in the Challenger. Okay, that has its own... uh, I'm not going to edit that out, but that (laughs) makes me feel very uncomfortable. Um, And I want to go back to... I like the age of nine right now because I have a nine-year-old, and I feel like when you're nine, you're at a very pure form of like who you are and what you want, uh, and and you're still loved to play. Although I don't think stunt people ever lose that love of play, but I want to. Where are we? You're nine years old. Take well, me there. Well, first off, that's our greatest blessing is that we we will play the rest of our lives. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's what we do for work in the most part. I mean, it's dangerous and all that, but you know, we feel like we're playing all the time. But if we go back to nine, is so close to the age where I decided I wanted to be a stuntman, which was eight. Wow. Um, so you had already decided. I had decided then, and I never lost that dream or that goal, and I hung on to it no matter how much discouragement I got, which was a lot throughout the years. How did you know what stunts were, though, <laughs> at eight years old? My mother grew up in Los Angeles, uh, oh. Hollywood specifically, and so she actually, as, as a young girl, was designing clothes and purses and stuff for children, and she became quite well-known, and then they, they thought, well, and she was really beautiful. She looked like another little Shirley Temple with yeah. black hair only. And uh, they screen tested her, and and my grandmother was all about that, so wanted to push her into Hollywood. So they knew a lot of Hollywood people, the whole Hollywood scene, 
all that kind of stuff. And my grandfather was an officer in the Navy and they hung out with Hollywood people. And so there was that background. So she knew what actors were, what stunt people were, what, you know, the, the whole rigmarole. So when I was watching a Chuck Norris movie when I was a kid, I said, I want to do that when I grow up. And she goes, what, be a, a movie star like Chuck Norris? And I go, no, no, the guy is kicking through the wall. I always liked as a kid to smash into things and crash into things and break things and, you know, the typical little boy stuff. And once I realized that you could, that that's a job, I could do that as a living, then that was it. I was just stuck on that for the rest of my life, you know. Wow. And what did your mom, who had had exposure to Hollywood, think of that? She went, oh. You want to be a stuntman. <laughs> okay. Because I try to think of, of what what my daughter would say, because she's been around a lot of stunt people. I mean, she knows Maya and, and yeah. Jeff Aro, who now have their own little... Yeah, little, they, they got little Jude. Little Jude, Jude Rebel Aro, who is, you know, just a few, a few weeks old at this point, but I'm sure is going to grow up knowing how to do a whole bunch of flips and stunts and stuff. Like, there's a part of me as a mother that wants to, like, wrap my child in bubble wrap and be like, don't hurt yourself. Because I know that that's a big part of, the like, risks, the risk of getting hurt, mm-hmm. you know? So your mom was like... No, I have I have three children. Yeah. And two of them are in stunts. My son started when he was eight years old. He started when I wanted to start. Yeah. Because he had the the, the open doors, you know what I mean? But he started working as, as a, a stunt man, as a stunt kid. Stunt I didn't even know that there were stunt kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. <sighs> My granddaughter, who is seven now, just started a couple of weeks ago. She got her union card. She was doubling a, a little girl on Bly Manor. So she uh, third generation is kicking in. That is awesome. kicking in too. Yeah. You got the puns in there. Okay, wow. I mean, there is so much to so much to unpack there. But I want to go back to kid you. So you make the declaration then when you are eight years old. I want to go into. I want to be a stunt man. What do you do with that? Well, the good thing for me was my mother was always supportive in everything that I I wanted to do and that I wanted to try. And I was such an outgoing. Uh, I wouldn't say so much outgoing, uh, to a certain extent I was, but independent was my my big thing. And I, I could go off by myself. I could go survive in the wilderness. Uh, I mean, I grew up on a ranch as a kid with my mother trapping and hunting, and, and I would be gone for days just sleeping out in the winter 40 below with my dog and trapping. and you know That seems I like a movie in, a, in and of yeah, itself. Yeah, I grew up in a different time, uh, a different place. I mean, we lived in a log house. We had no running water. And this was when I was six. I lived in Seattle, Washington up until that time, and then she married Chartrand, a Canadian cowboy. And then they moved us all to Canada and they bought a log house out in the middle of Saskatchewan up in the northern part of the, the province and we were just thrust into that life. And it, So anyway, it, it, it turned me into a survivor and very independent. And so when I decided I wanted to be a stuntman, I started training. I mean, I was, I, I was doing rodeo as a kid and I, I grew up on horses and, I, and then I got, as soon as I sold my first calf, I took the money and I bought a, a motorcycle so I could learn how to ride motorcycles. And, you know, everything I did was kind of geared and tra- uh, towards training, towards being a stuntman. <laughs> It was almost like you, it would have been a shock if you weren't a stuntman. Like it would have been a shock if you, if you were declared you were going to be an accountant or something, yeah, yeah. you know, because literally what you're describing, number one, what a fun childhood. Two, I want to see that like in, in on screen somehow. So I hope you're going to be mining your childhood in some way for yeah, the screen. Yeah. But like three, like what? better preparation was there than the life that you there is no better i mean i was i was being groomed basically 
unknowingly all throughout my childhood and, and all the antics that I did and stuff like that. And my mother just recently passed mm. and I, it's, it was in my blood because, I mean, I was telling a story at her celebration that she jumped out of a plane in a bikini uh, flying over Lake Washington. So, I mean, she should have been a stunt woman. I mean, and she, yeah. she, she survived, of course. And, and uh, she did so many things that, that really should have, she should have been a stunt woman herself. In so a was, bikini? I mean, in a bikini. Wouldn't that yeah. hurt? It, it, I'm sure it did. She like lost the... her top, but she found Whoa! it, fortunately. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a date gone wrong. The guy was trying to get his pilot's license, and he took her up on a flight, and then he realized he could not land with her at the airport. So he said, hey, do you mind, um, I'll fly low over the lake and you jump out in the water. Cause what? I, I'll, I'll never get my license if I land with you. And uh, needless to say, there was never another date. She uh, she decided he was not the guy for her. Oh, I, I, I'm speechless with these stories. Okay, let's... Promise me that at some point in the future you are going to mine all of this. And like, is is that something that now you as a storyteller that you are looking back on? Because you've De been talking for five minutes, and I already want to see it all on screen. <laughs> well, definitely, I I do write a lot, and a lot of it I pull from my life experiences and inject it into the stories. But uh, I have been asked and prodded and poked, and and I will write a book one day. Yeah. Um, I was after my mother to do that because she, she lived four lifetimes in yeah. her 85 years. And so I, I've learned that lesson that I will start putting it down now before it's too late and before you start to forget things and so on and so forth. And and it's great because my kids remind me of stories I told them when they were younger. And, oh, yeah, okay, got to put that in there, you know, and stuff. So I'm just starting to, to lay stuff down. And Volume one. Yeah, volume one. All right, well, please, I, I'm ordering the first copy right now. Okay, so let's talk about then your, your entry into the film and television industry I mean it was a dream for you and you are tr you were training you had your um, sleeping out in the wilderness and survivalist stuff uh, and then also I, the martial arts stuff which I'm assuming you were training you know in your childhood as well well martial arts didn't start for me till I was around 17 um, so I left home when I was 12 and I moved out to Lake Louise, Alberta, and I was a trail guide and I took people on trail uh, trips on horses and uh, packing them out in the wilderness and stuff. 12. Like 12, yeah. And um, so from that time, I just told everybody I was going to be a stuntman. And a lot of people just laughed and went, yeah, kid, whatever, right, sort of thing. And uh, all the horse training and all that lifestyle, again, like I said, trained me to, to go forward with it. I eventually moved to California, and I was trying to get into the business down there and I quickly ran out of money and was worried I was going to end up living on the streets and stuff like that but I I did get a job at Universal Studios for a little while as a baby werewolf greeting people on the tram in a in a super hot werewolf outfit I was just sweating my ass off you know so anyway I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do but it let me get into Universal for free and go and watch the stunt shows and talk to the stunt guys okay. and that's how I got into martial arts because they said look Go away, kid, is what they said to me for the first many times. And then they said, okay, look, you got to go to a gym where other stunt people are training, gymnastics gym, martial arts gym. You got to get training where other stunt people are training if you're going to get your foot in the door. So I started training in martial arts. And I ran out of money, and I ended up moving back to Canada. So my very first training was in a karate school in Lloydminster, Alberta. I was working in the oil business there, and I started training in karate. And that organization joined up with an organization in California. So once I was part of that group, I actually went down and trained in California a lot, and my karate instructor from there was a stuntman. His name is Fumio Demura, and he's one of the most well-known martial artists in the world. And he was the stunt double for Pat Morita in the Karate Kid movies. 
So bang, whoa! I hit a connection, right? And I told him what I wanted to do, and he said, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do to help you and stuff like that. Of course, I was still really way too young, 17 years old, and so nobody... I don't know. Me. Your granddaughter's already yeah, in it. She's exactly. seven, so I would say, actually, you're kind of a late bloomer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so anyway, he, uh, he tried to open the door for me a little bit there, but then he said, hey, you can work in Canada, right? And I said, yeah, I have dual citizenship. And he said, they're just starting to make movies up there. And I bet you they don't have very many stuntmen. He says, you should go there and try. Yeah. So I actually landed in, in Vancouver in 1989. And I signed up to do extra work right away. And I started getting my foot on sets. And I started bugging stunt coordinators. Hey, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. And they were like, yeah, whatever. Eventually, I got a break on MacGyver was the first show that I ever did a stunt on. Wow. And I wasn't hired initially to do a stunt. I was, I was hired as a special ability extra special skills special extra. skills yeah. extra dopad has a similar kind of story in his as well so what was happening was melissa stubbs was doubling the lead on the show and ken kersinger was playing this big bad guy and she got in a fight with him and she hit him in the face with a frying pan and he comes flying back into this crowd of people so what's supposed to happen he's supposed to hit us and just knock us out of the way not knock us down and the stunt coordinator uh, came back to us and take two and he said if you hit the ground this time i'll bump you up to stunts well that's all i needed to hear i was probably seven to eight feet away from the wall and when Ken just touched me I flew like I had a wire on me and flew back into the wall and hit the wall and slid to the floor and they called cut and he comes up to me and leans over top and he goes yep that'll do wow and uh, ended up getting two days out of it so we had to come back another day and and you know it was just such an extreme change in in your paycheck yeah <laughs> but was it what you wanted like you know because you had dreamed of that since you were eight years old you know and then you had it you had that opportunity like that was the moment you went from being you know background or like you became a stuntman oh yeah in that moment so getting what you want how did it feel well i tell you what that's a that's a really good thing to bring up was that what you wanted because let's back up again a little bit to a time when i was training horses and i was going to a tech institute to finish my high school diploma because I, I left school at grade nine right anyway i got called by a show because i had entered this contest called Thrill of a Lifetime. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was something that they produced in Toronto oh, 40 years ago, maybe yeah. 35 years ago. And they called me and they started interviewing me over the phone and they were telling, telling me that I was potentially going to be chosen to come to Toronto and do a stunt on a TV show. And I was like, what? Really? That's cool. That's amazing. And the, and the thing that they wanted to hear out of my lips was, that's a thrill of a lifetime. You know what I mean? So they were prompting me and goading me. And, and I came down to the final two. Mm. And they, they were interviewing me again. And they said, and I said, well, what, what do I get to do? And they said, well, you're going to be doing a little push and shove fight scene on the top of this building. It's a three-story building. And then you're going to fall off the building and go into some boxes. And I said, 30 feet, that's all? can't we do something like a hundred or ten stories <laughs> and so I was I was not excited about yeah. that it was, to me it just was a little it was not quite as thrilling yeah yeah it wasn't as thrilling as I was hoping for so I I kind of basically turned down my first chance at doing a stunt and so this was of course on MacGyver was much less than that I just got knocked down but by that time I would put the work in and realized what it took to get to the top or, mm. or to start getting bigger stunts and I knew that I had to start there and, and so I was super excited just yeah. getting knocked down in MacGyver I mean then and, and to be able to tell my family and friends that I was working on MacGyver doing stunts oh my god because that was a huge show back in the day right yeah so absolutely that was, that was pretty, pretty big deal I'm gonna jump a little bit in the timeline now um 
Although I still, there's more I want to talk about. I mean, honestly, I need a whiteboard and like a string to follow everything. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm wondering, because you have been, you know, a, a stunt coordinator and somebody who's in a position to pull somebody, you know, like to recognize very young, raw, emerging talent and bump somebody up. Like, have you seen yourself in 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 emerging talent? Have you been that person for other people? Yes, I, I'm, I'm huge on mentoring people and... and helping people when I feel they deserve it mm. and that they want it. Um, there's some people that just step into the business looking to make money and they don't have a love for the art of what we do and, and a lot of people don't realize it's an art. Yeah. Um, I lived and breathed it. I, I feel I was born to be a stunt person, yeah. which is so rare and I rarely see that in somebody. So when I do, I do everything I can to, to help them. I yeah. don't do it for them, just like my son. I never, I never hired him first. I never. It's just that there's three doors in front of you, and I just unlocked them. Mm. And then, okay, this is what you do, and this is how you do it. So go, go. If you want it, go get it. Yeah. So once you, once somebody had opened the door, <laughs> unlocked the door uh, for you, and you're in. What were some of those um, initial things that surprised you about the industry and about how specifically the stunt side of the industry worked? Well. First off, nobody unlocked it. I had to kick it in. <laughs> <laughs> you flew through the door. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing that really grabbed me and excited me all as well that I had no idea it would be like that is the camaraderie and mm. the family. Uh, dysfunctional as it may be, uh, it's still a family. And it's, You're talking about the stunt community. It's, it's yeah. a very strange thing because we have to compete against each other. Yeah. You know, but yet we help each other a lot and we train together and stuff like that. But then you turn around and you're going out for the same job. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times it's different because I'm a certain height and somebody, my buddy might be six feet tall and we're not the same height. So we're not going to double the same people. But there's a thing called ND stunts, nondescript stunts. Right. Where you're playing a cop or just a bad guy or whatever. So then we're all competing for the same gag on that one. You yeah. Know? And may the best man win. You know what I mean? And there there's so much politics involved and stuff like that but at the end of the day we are the tightest knit group in the film industry and we do a lot together and stay together and you know it's it's really different why do you think that is is it because of is it because of safety like is that is that a big part of why it, it is so close knit that is a huge factor in it because yeah. you have to trust everybody around you that's involved in the stunt especially all the other stunt people yeah if they screw up their timing or do something wrong or hold back when they're you know from fear then you could end up getting hurt or someone else can get up or a crew member you know it could cause a, a, a domino effect on the set of, of accidents if, if somebody in a stunt sequence makes a mistake and, and screws up yeah so Nobody gets a big gag right off the bat. You have to work your way in and earn the trust of all the stunt coordinators and all the upper echelon of the stunt performers before they put you in a harder, more risky position where you have to really be focused and pay attention and, and have the balls to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because if you chicken out, then something else goes wrong or, you know what I mean? So, I mean, fire gags can be super, super dangerous, but done right they're they're the safest yeah but if you do something wrong it's the worst you yeah know what I mean? so until you set somebody on fire you don't know how they're going to react to it some people panic some people go oh no big deal as long until it burns me you know what i mean yeah so you have to have the time put in invested with those people in order for them to trust you so that's that's the big thing so once you earn that trust you're in the family yeah. Right. So then that's you stick together like glue after that. Yeah. OK. So I want to talk um, 
some specifics of of stunts because I mean you you said gags as well, uh, and then looking through your very lengthy like can you believe how many stunts you've done like that's like crazy it's like I think if for IMDb it's for stunts it said two hundred and eighty one I'm like I'm sure there's probably even more than that but like do you have a like do you have a favorite type or like what what are some of like the the stunts that for you are the most like enjoyable to do God I love any and all of them except for water I hate cold water so you know that's something that I just like (laughs) right but anything else uh, set me on fire or throw me out of a building your mom would have like water though she literally jumped out of an airplane in her bikini with the top flying off (laughs) I'm sure Lake Washington was none too warm (laughs) none too warm at all yeah but uh, no I I love it all I mean I got into the business I got my foot in the door with martial arts and horse work because I grew up on horses so I played a lot of Native Americans on horseback and cowboys and Indians and stuff like that and uh, and then fighting in, in any and every kind of scene yeah uh, when I got started so I, I love that I love choreographing fights I love working with horses so those are still two of my favorite situations but cars excite me uh, flipping them crashing them motorcycles you know I've done a lot of that stuff I've been so fortunate to have the chances and the ability to diversify and do almost every kind of stunt excuse me in the business and that's a rare thing these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because there are a lot of specialists, right? Yeah, a lot of specialists. And it's funny, when I started, there was a lot of specialists. And then there was a few, a select few that did it all. Yeah. And I went, I got to be one of those guys. Yeah. Especially I'm five foot six, so I'm not tall enough to double that many actors. And, um, you know, I've got brown skin, so I can't double a lot of white guys. Um, so it was always difficult to find someone to double. So I knew I wasn't going to make a uh, make it as a as a double and you know being a lead double that often. So I had to be every kind of ND stunt I could find. So that was my thing. Is just like I got to do it all, yeah. And then I'll work all the time. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in a specialized category, and that's the only time I'll work. Yeah. And what about um? Okay, so one of the early credits that really jumped out to me. Uh, was Rumble in the Bronx? Oh my God! I want to. I want to hear. I mean, I think that was one of the first times that I, I noticed Vancouver on screen. Wasn't supposed to no, notice it was Vancouver, <laughs> but I'm like that does not look like the Bronx. No. But you know, like the the I I remember watching that and almost not being able to breathe because it was so fast and I hadn't really. I mean, I hadn't been exposed to the Hong Kong martial arts at that at that point martial arts films you know so what Jackie Chan was doing was just like amazing and and made, left me breathless so can you tell me about the experience of learning of of working on that oh film and what you god. learned from oh that oh my god that was one of the craziest and most memorable and fun experiences i had in my career now some people are going to hate me i i was never a bruce lee fan but I've always been a huge Jackie Chan fan. Yeah. I discovered him early on. I loved him. And when I heard he was coming to town, I would do anything to work on that movie. Yeah. So I got called in to audition for it. And they said I was too young. And, I, you know, I, I looked really young for my age and stuff like that. So they sent me away with my tail between my legs. And I was like, oh, shit. So I grew a goatee and I was working on another show. And the stunt coordinator, a really good friend of mine who who's also passed away uh, years ago, Mark Akerstream, mm-hmm. we were like brothers. And, and he was the stunt coordinator in the show. And I said, hey, take a picture of me now with the goatee and go back and resubmit me. He says, yeah, right. Yeah, I'll do that. So he did. And they called me back in. Now, this time I had to go in a room and I had to read with Jackie Chan. Whoa. And, and I had to do a little bit of a fight scene with him. So he really put you through the test and came out of that and it went well they said okay we're gonna we're gonna use you we're gonna contract you for 10 days on the show I was like yes okay I'm on this show 
Well, 55 days later, I was finally off the show. So it just, there was no script. It was the oddest thing I'd ever worked on before or since. There was just an outline of the story. And what? Yeah. So anyway, it was like improv? Improv. For- we were all actors too. We weren't just stunt guys. We were we were the characters. So we played this these characters in Tony's gang. So Mark Akerstream being the stunt coordinator, he he played Tony. Yeah. And then we were all his gang members. Now Jackie never wants to make one race the bad guys. So we had wow. I was the Mexican, we had an Italian, we had like a, a Aryan white supremacist looking guy, we had Chinese guys, we had black guys, we had we had the rainbow going on in this gang, right? And so it it was just amazing because we'd come into the set and they had a, a Chinese dialect coach, but he was supposed to be for all dialects. Yeah. And he, uh, every time we'd come on set, he'd go, okay, what you say in this situation? And we'd look around and look at the scene and kind of walk through it. And then I'd say, oh, I'd probably come up and go, yo, que pasa, man, what you doing? And he goes, yeah, you say that, you say that. You're the Mexican guy, you say that. <laughs> and that was how our lines came about. We would just kind of, what would you say? What would you say here? That's all, but like, the part that. of me that likes to be super organized and thinks about budget and stuff, looks at that like it's a nightmare. Oh, yeah. You know, and also there's a part of me that wants to like to know like creatively what I'm going to get on screen, but I guess there was like faith that it was all going to be okay. Well, I guess cuz he'd made these kind of like this was his style yeah, already. Yeah, it was his style. And I mean, we learned so much in fights uh, learning from those guys and watching how they put their fights together and stuff yeah. cuz they would just they rarely do a master of a fight scene and it was never even put together before. They would just do three or four moves and Jackie would do this and do that and his guys would do okay and then they'd plunk us in our spots and then we'd do that much of the fight scene cut okay now they'd work out another three or four moves and we'd go this way or that way and they'd just decide on the day if we're going to jump on this table or run up that wall or you know put it together and what was the most interesting and fun that made sense to Jackie at the time you know so wow. it, was, it was pretty crazy and Stanley Tong was the director now the biggest jolt I got out of that movie is I almost almost got to double Jackie Chan so there was, huh? a, there was, yeah, there was a big leap off of off of the Woolworths parking garage. Yeah, yeah, I remember across the alleyway <laughs> into a very small little balcony and doorway, and so there was a place where we we rehearsed that jump off of the parking garage to a lower level into some boxes, which replicated exactly the distance and everything for that. So they called me up there one day, and Jackie and Stanley point to me and say, "You, you can jump there." And I go, yeah, I can jump there. Okay, let's see. So they had drawn on the boxes the the width of the doorway and everything like that, and you had to fit right in there. So I did a bunch of jumps there. And next thing you know, I watched Stanley doing it, the director, because he was a stuntman before he was ever a director. Yeah. And he's jumping into the doorway. And then Jackie does it. He's jumping into the doorway. So we knew all three of us could do it. And I was just like... For weeks, I was just, oh, I might get to double Jackie, I might get to double Jackie. So the day comes, we're all there, the decision hadn't been made yet, and Stanley gets up out of his director's chair and goes, yeah, I think I'm going to do this one. And so Stanley Stanley actually doubled Jackie for that jump. And I was so heartbroken, but I... Uh, I mean, you got other stuff out of that Oh, I did. To and, you know, sure. and you know what was... However, you know that would have been free. That would have been great, but I, I got a little uh, secondary prize or whatever you want to call it, right? Because... We parked our vehicles at the top of Woodward's uh, as crew park. Yeah. And I would climb up the outside of Woodward's parking garage and go up the seven levels to get to my truck. And Jackie watched me one day. And then he comes and he Wait, said, what? You mean like like Spider-Man? Like, like Spider-Man, yeah. Just speak, like, could you not find the door? No, <laughs> it, was just, it was just practice. It was just something we could get away with in those days. You, you probably wouldn't. The cops would be on you like stink right now. Yeah. Anyway, Jackie watched me. And then the, uh, a couple of days later, he, he calls me over and he goes, hey, you double me for that? And I go, what? 
climb up. I'm going to put it in the movie. I'm going to do that. But I want you to do it for me because you do it all the time. You do it good. So I was like, yes. But at the end of the day, he ended up doing it himself. So, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and that's you imprinting on it, though, in your, yeah, yeah. In your so own that was, way. That was my, uh, my secondary prize. Amazing. You know. Did you ever get the chance to work with Chuck Norris at yes. all? Yes. Did he throw you? Oh, you know what I mean? Because he was the one that I was watching when I decided to want yeah, to do So it was an amazing uh, thing. Now, I, he came to town early in my career to do a movie called The Hitman. And so I wanted to be on the show again. Oh, you look too young. You know, you can't be in the gang sort of thing. And so I never, I went into audition and never got anything. Now, my sensei, Demera, uh, is very good friends with Mr. Norris. And he was, had a letter he wanted Chuck to sign. So he sent it to me to go to the set and get Chuck to sign it. So I got permission to go to set and meet Chuck. And he says, oh, you want a sensei students? And, he, and I go, yeah. And he says, well, he's from California. What are you doing here? And I go, well, I actually moved here and I'm trying to get into stunts. Why didn't you tell me how to put you on the movie? And I said, well, I didn't want to get a job that way, you know. Yeah. He says, well, stick around. Have lunch. We'll find something for you to do after lunch. Okay. So uh, I stick around, have lunch with them. And then the next thing you know, they're dressing me up and everything. And I was set to double Bruno Gerussi, who, oh, who played a character on the yeah. show. Now, Bruno had been tortured and um, disemboweled in the movie and yeah, Chuck, you did not get to see that kind of thing on beachcombers no no exactly so Woo. Chuck and Al Waxman showed up to put him out of his misery they wow. were his best friends and uh, so Al Waxman ends up supposed to be shooting him to put him out of his misery so there's where I came in they put me on the table with all these fake guts all over me and blood all over the place and they're supposed to shoot me and I'm supposed to do the funky chicken and fall off the table that was the stunt <laughs> something they just made up on the day now they had sent the stunt coordinator home and the armorer home so there was nobody really to look after the safety of this and things got out of control, and the director, who was Chuck's brother, Aaron, decided he want more flash coming out of the gun, a bigger flame. Uh-oh. And the, it was put on the props guys. And they're like, how do you do that? Well, what makes the flash? Gunpowder. So they poured gunpowder down the, the barrel of the gun uh. on top of a full load blank. So basically what was going to happen, and what did happen, is either going to explode in the actor's face and hurt him, or there's a, a piece screwed inside the barrel called a restrictor. The, th- the threads on that stripped when the explosion went off and it blew it out like a bullet. And it went through my side here all the way through my intestine, stomach, and stopped in my liver. So oh. I f- it felt like I'd been hit, hot, hit in the side with a hot sledgehammer and I couldn't breathe. And, and they knew something was wrong, but they thought, ah, this is a new stunt guy. He's just being a wimp because a piece of wadding hit him or something like that. Well, once they peeled the, the stuff away, they could see there was a hole in my side. Yeah. Called the ambulance. Got an ambulance there about 45 minutes later and I was started thrown up blood so I had so much internal bleeding so they rushed me to the hospital I got a scar from here to here now because they cut me open and and did three operations to fix everything and uh, I was I was just so lucky to be alive um, because it it stopped in my liver but missed all the main arteries that would have caused me to bleed to death before they could fix it so four months of of healing and and everything and I was back knocking on the door to do stunts and then then my career kicked in because I was known as the guy that got shot and the guys started going, well, if you could take a bullet, you can probably take about anything. So, yeah, we'll hire you. And, oh, uh, and I started wow. working a lot more because of that. It's not the way I'd recommend getting no, known. No, please, but <laughs> please. Disclaimer should come with this yeah, episode. Don't do this No, anywhere. but like what? I mean, I, I like to think that every time we go through anything, it's an opportunity to learn a lesson. You know, getting injured in that kind of profound way... Uh, what, what did you learn from that? Like, did, did that change, you know, like, like, did you have an instinct that something was, was going to be wrong? No, not at all. Not at the time. But I tell you, the big impact that it had on me is, is the safety that I have as a stunt coordinator. Yeah. And I do not allow anyone to point a gun at anyone 
on the set, whether it's a rubber gun or a gun with a blank in it or anything, because once you start pointing at people, you make a habit of it, and then you're fooling around when you shouldn't be, and accidents happen. There's no reason in film to ever point a gun at somebody because the camera angle can fix that. It looks like you're pointing at them, but you're not. Yeah. So we can fake that, so we can be safe and, and nobody gets hurt because we're just making movies. I've fired people off of my sets for fiddling around with guns, twirling them or pointing them when they shouldn't be because mm -hmm. I give them all a speech at the beginning and I explain to them why and I show them my scar and I tell them what can happen. You know, you think these are toy guns, they're fake guns, they're not. Someone's can, someone can get hurt. Yeah. And there's been other accidents in the business. John Hexham died from from a blank gun. Uh, Brandon Lee's situation was a little different but almost very similar to mine. Yeah. So it, there's a history of it. So you just don't play with those things and I make sure on my sets that uh, that it doesn't happen. So you know, that obviously stuck with me. I learned from that. Yeah. I mean, how, how safe are our are, are sets now? Like, you know, because I know, like, one of the reasons that Maya said she'd be happy to have her child go into stunts is because as a stunt coordinator, she knows how safe everything is, that she has planned for every, I mean, she literally, you're talking about people on fire, she lit Jeff on fire, mm -hmm. you know, and, and she was the one person who wasn't worried about him because she knew everything that you know, everything that went into it and all of the responses. But, you know, from all the other departments beyond stunts, like, is there enough of an awareness about about set safety and about the risks involved? Yes, it's it's much bigger these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a lot more safety protocol than we used to. Um, but we're, we're not daredevils. We don't just wing it. You know, yes. it's all very planned. It's very calculated because we want to come out the other side of it unscathed so we can work again tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so... Just like when my son started, everybody's like, oh, you're going to let your son jump off of that or your son do this or that. And I said, yeah, because I'm I'm training him. I'm, I'm teaching him and he knows the way to do it correctly. Yeah. And he's working for people that I know that will look after him and, right. and put the safety protocols in place. So as a person in it, you you feel very safe because, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm still here. So, you know, is a pretty good still here. success rate. A little bit battered up, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, have, do you Have you been injured a lot or? Like, do you, not, do you not get injured as much anymore? Or? Remarkably, not that much. I've, I've broken my back. I've broken a, a few fingers here and there and you had some concussions back? and some pulled muscles. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, not snapped it in two. I fractured it, you know, and uh, was back to work in, you know, a couple of months. So it wasn't horrible. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we take a lot of hard falls, a lot of hard hits. And, yeah. and there's stress on your bones and your body and, you know, things happen. And. Like I said, we try and do everything we can to have the padding in place or the safety precautions in place, you know. But, uh, you know, it's a law of averages. You play yeah. with fire long enough, you're going to get burned. It is. And as I, somebody who's been friends with stunt people for a long time, it can be exhausting being your friend. Because, <laughs> because I'm also, because I will also be shown new injuries with pride. Like, oh, I just, I went through a window. I look at my stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're in completely insane. Which, which brings me to my, my next question then. What do you, you think are some of the the personality traits, the character traits that, that a stunt, that is, that a stunt artist requires, you know, to really make a go of it in the biz. Well, the best stunt people are the are the tough as nails, and can learn things lightning fast. Yeah. Even skills that they haven't done before, they're a good enough athlete or have enough skill sets that they can transition into this new skill because. Every stunt we do is different. Nothing is ever the same, and we're always putting a different spin on it. You know, whether you're riding a bicycle, now you have to do this with the bicycle, or it's a horse or a car, or you're falling, you're falling this way, going through a window that way. It's just everything is always a little bit different, so you have to be able to adapt 
super quick. Yeah. Right. And you got to be able to take the pain and get back and do take two and take three and sometimes take 15. It's crazy. You know what I mean? If the, if the director just doesn't feel they have it yet or something else in the scene didn't go off. I did this one fight scene on a show called Street Justice a million years ago with, with uh, Carl Weathers. And he couldn't get his line right. But what was happening while he was saying his dialogue, we were fighting right beside him. And I was getting slammed on the cement. Like a big over-the-top fall yeah. from somebody lifting me over their head and getting slammed onto the onto the concrete. And cut. Okay, we got to go again. Carl, the line is this. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I tell you, we did it like <laughs> nine or ten times. Did he just not like you or something? <laughs> <laughs> so something like that can yeah. go wrong. And then the director was adamant that he wanted all this to happen while we saw Carl say his line. You know, so nothing against Carl. He's a great guy. <laughs> awesome. But we all have our days, right? So. Wow. Okay. I'm going to, I need a break. I need to go and like, because I mean, honestly, at the beginning of this interview, I said that this should be a series. Like, it really should like I, I or write the book please write the book or I'm gonna write it for you <laughs> okay. okay we're gonna take a break and then when we come back we are gonna talk about s- storytelling and writing and directing and the kind of stories that you want to put out there into the universe awesome. which I'm also hoping involves your origin story because it's bonkers <laughs> all right let's take that break thanks Hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project. Did you know that the Union of BC Performers, ACTRA, provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions, including commercials, TV series and movies, feature films, from big budget to Canadian indies and student films, animation series, video games, web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP ACTRA Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered and you too can benefit from UBCP ACTRA's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP ACTRA. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP ACTRA member. Go to ubcp.com for more information. Okay, before we talk about directing, um, I want to talk about... um how much longer you think you'll be in stunts? Like, is there an inclination to bid adieu, you know, or to only do, like, to, to limit to stunt coordinating? Or is this like... Knock on wood, I am in great shape at 54 and can do everything I could do in my 30s. So yeah. um, until something forces me to stop, I won't. Um, yeah. And, you know, at, at a certain age, you'll get picky and start to go, okay, I'm 70. I don't want to do a car hit anymore. You know what I mean? But uh, I did a car hit last year and, you know, uh, no ill effects. So yeah. um, it's my first love. Let's put it that way. And so I'm I'm never going to give it up. And I mean, I was really inspired by our founder of Stunts Canada, Alex Green, because mm. he was a little kid till the day he passed away and he would throw himself downstairs fall off of horses in in his late 60s you know what i mean so you don't have to if you if your mind is is willing uh you can make your body drag along <laughs> <laughs> have you jumped out of a plane 
Have I jumped out? Uh, I've skydived before. Yeah. But, uh, but you haven't done what your mom did. No, I have not done a, a total free jump from a from an airplane <laughs> without a, without a parachute. No. Amazing. So my mom's one up me for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about uh, about you as a as a writer and as a director. When did you first get struck by that? By <laughs> you know what happened was. You know, summertime is usually a pretty busy time in the film industry here. Yeah. And I, my career had kicked off and I was working a lot and everything. And then this one June came along and not a phone call. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, text, uh, it wasn't even text then, but I was calling people and saying, hey, you got new work. Hey, I'm available. Hey, hey, hey. I couldn't buy a job in June of that year. I can't remember what year it was. It was a good 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't buy a job. And I went, I went, uh, can I swear on this? Fuck yeah. Oh, I went, fuck you. I'm going to make my own movie. So I started writing. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to, uh, if nobody's going to hire me anymore, I'm just going to go out and make my own movie. So yeah. I started writing. And uh, do you know Michael Adams? Yes. Yeah, great writer, amazing writer. And uh, that was his, before he became a writer. And we both kind of started out together to, to do this script. Uh, I got him helping me and, and so on and so forth. So that was the start of writing. And, and I caught the bug. And, and I always loved writing stories as a kid. Yeah. So what kind of stories then were, did you want to tell, especially well, so back that, at the beginning? That one was, I, I wrote it specifically for the Olsen twins. And it was it was based on a stuntman who's twin daughters got kidnapped and it was kind of going to be kind of like home alone in that uh, the the kidnappers had more problem with these two little girls Mm. than they did Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) they were given more grief than anything else and so he the stuntman elicited the help of locations and special effects and all the crew to help him find his daughters before they were put on a boat out in the harbor here and shipped away to a child uh, selling ring or whatever you call it right so that was like I said that was way back in the day and ahead of its time a bit and and I didn't have the connections or the know-how in the business to get it to anybody that could get it to the Olsen twins and and get it made sort of thing so it kind of sat in a shelf but it's something I may dust off later but it was really a family orientated fun uh, action movie for for kids and for the whole family sort of thing and and I tend to to like that and I've kind of I've Played in every genre, horror and action and, and drama and yeah, I saw a horror you know, film that you d- you directed a a while back. Yeah, that was right up at Jeff and Maya's place at Britannia. Yeah, Beach. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that another case of let's let's make a movie? You know let's what? Be that creative. that came from a, a producer friend of mine. Um, and she watched me uh, launch into my directing career, and she came to set and watched me to direct, and then finally decided that I was the one to direct that movie. Yeah. And we worked on the script a little bit together, and then uh, they they brought the funds together, and, and I scouted Britannia Mind and went, this is the place, and they loved it, and away we went. Yeah. Are there a lot of transferable skills between being a stunt artist or a stunt coordinator and being a, a director and a storyteller in that way? Totally, and it's it's different for everybody that's a stunt person. Some stunt guys just want to be stunt guys. They don't pay attention to camera, camera angles, camera lenses. They don't pay attention to directions, this side of the line, that side of the line. They don't pay attention to how a director talks to an actor or convinces them to do what needs to be done yeah. or works with them so that you, you do what the actor is doing and it's maybe a better idea than you had as a director. I am a sponge when I'm on set mm-hmm. and, it, and it never ends. No matter how much I've been there, I learn something new every day. So I'm watching a, a crew member or a hair or makeup person or how can we make this better, quicker, tell the story more efficiently, whatever. That's always been something that I, I, I've had and I don't know why. Mm. But it's been a passion of mine. So uh, that transition to me from being a stunt performer to 
being a stunt coordinator and that how can we make this gag better how can we make it cooler how can we make it fit the story better yeah you know make our hero look more like a hero so all those things were transitions into telling a story so then when I was a stunt coordinator then I would start to help the directors you know if you put the camera here it, the action will come right into the lens and it'll just be really dramatic yeah. you know and that's that's the thing that frustrates me uh, about another topic that maybe we'll have time to get into is but people don't think we have anything to do with the story or the drama they think we're just mm. a bunch of stunt people that fall down and crash things but we're we're putting the the drama into the story yeah you know where's the tension and the, the threat all that stuff comes from the action that's going yeah. on they're trying to get away from the bad guy or whatever so anyway I started helping place cameras and say you know if you came over here or if we if we move the camera this way it will really enhance the the movement and directors went oh okay well then I'm gonna get you to second unit direct yeah so that how that's how my second unit director career started to kick in and I was asked to do this, that, and the other thing and go do this this uh, unit and, and so on. And then from there, I was directing, and the main unit director that I was working with at the time was a really good friend of mine, Keone Waxman. And he started sending his actors over to my second unit, which is something that never happens. You just Usually you just do the action. Right. But he started to get behind on certain things and says, Lash, can you direct this scene? And it's just they come in, they say this and this, and, and then and they go into the action that you're going to do anyway. So we yeah. might as well have them there. It's, it's the same location. So then I started to get actors. Now, well, then the way I got my first directing gig is I was supposed to go second unit direct for Keone again. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to go to Detroit and do this movie. We got on a conference call with the producers, and they were talking and telling us all about it. And they go, oh, by the way, we're doing it in Bucharest, Romania now. And I'm like, hey, whatever. My bags are packed. I don't care. And then Keone called me back after, and he says, uh, hey, I can't go. I got some family things going on. I got to stay close to home. Um, and I go, oh, okay, well, I guess we're not doing this movie then. He goes, yeah, you are. Wow. And I go, what? Wow. Shit, the last movie, you directed a third of it, and it all cut together seamlessly. And I'm just going to tell the producers that you're you're the guy for the job. And and Sure enough, I went and saw them in L.A., and they said, yeah, why not? So off I went to Bucharest, Romania for my first movie. Yeah. And I got to cast Darren Shalavi as my main bad guy. And that was just so awesome for me because I wanted to, I wanted to bring him along and be, yeah. you know, be a part of the, the new success, you know. And yeah. uh, he came, and he just knocked it out of the park. And after that, I was able to hire him on a few other things that I did, and it just uh, – always loved working with that guy and yeah. just being with him he was uh, such an amazing human being so yeah. yeah we miss him a lot around here oh, he's so definitely he's felt in i mean in in everything that we're doing he really was my first uh, insight into the kind of the passion and the hard work and also the struggle of being you know in this in this industry um I, I just I want to talk a little bit about actors, though, specifically actors, not stunt performers, mm -hmm. not even not not uh, actors who like Darren had a background in stunts. But but what kind of like have you seen actors treat stunt performers badly? Like like what what should the an ideal working relationship be between you know the actors and stunt performers stunt artists stunt doubles you see everything from best friends yeah. becoming best friends lifelong friends yeah. doing stuff outside of the business together vacationing together I think of together. Kira Zagorski and yeah. Janine Carlton yeah. exactly yeah. so you, you have from that extreme to I don't want to know nothing about these stunt people I'm not coming to set to watch it and, and just being dicks to us yeah and you know, I equate that to the fact that we're stealing a bit of their thunder. You know yeah. what I mean? Because we get a clap and we get some attention. Good job. And, you know, that actor wants to come on set and wait. I'm the guy. I'm the one, you know. Yeah. And so you get everything in between. Now, I mean, the ideal is 
you have a great working relationship because you're doing that to character together. Yeah. So I want to be able to talk to the actor and say, how do you want me to move? You know, how are you going to transition? How are you going to jump off of this? Yeah. Do you lead with your right leg or do you lead with your left leg? You know what I mean? You want to just really nail it and be doing the same person. Yeah. And some will work with you on that. And some like are gone to their trailer and don't want to talk to you. So you, you get everything in between. And, and that, that ideal one is you don't have to be my best friend, but let's work together on this and, and respect what I do because I respect what you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't see an actor say a line and go, that was easy. Fuck, how come he gets paid so much? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a respect that you're, you're doing this thing together and you're making it work for everybody that's watching and telling that story. That's the, that's the thing. You're, you're both trying to tell that story. Yeah. How do you as a as a director deal with actors who are, oh, actually, let me rephrase that. Is there such a thing as an undirectable actor? No, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, have, so, and you laugh, so that tells me that there's yeah. some, you have some. How do you deal then with, as a director, how do you deal with actors who are quote unquote undirectable? Well, without naming names, I have dealt with probably one of the most difficult actors to, to deal with. Uh, early on in my career as as a director mm. and uh, you know I found the best technique and this could bite me in the ass because if any actors are listening to this they're gonna go oh we know Lash's <laughs> trick now we're not gonna we're not gonna fall for that trick but I I try to make it their idea ah. and not not just only trying to get my idea across but it makes sense for the story and this is why and if you want to do something else I'm the one that's gonna have the problem in the editing room cutting the story together and telling the story if, if we're not on the same page. Yeah. So my job is to get us on the same page. And it's not that I'm always right, and it's not that they're always right, but we have to find a common ground to tell this story. So if I have an idea that I feel strongly about, maybe I don't get 100% of what I'm after, but I, I'll probably get 75% and bring them more on this side yeah. of the line. You know what I mean? And I know after I worked with that particular actor, the producer came up to me and said, you can direct anybody now. If you directed him, you can direct <laughs> you anybody. You have run the gauntlet. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what can you tell us about what you are working on next? What are you nurturing and I've developing got, right now? I'm really excited about two projects that I have in development. Before I talk about those, I, wanna, I just want to ask you a question or talk about one other project. Do you know that um, Jeff, Maya, and um, myself, and... Um, Chang, Alex Chang, we wrote together a script for Darren. Yes. And we wanted that to be his breakout role, and it was called Ace of Spades. I, I know that, and the images from it very well. Yeah, so um, we'll make it one day. I've got it in the pipeline, and there will be a big tribute to Darren on that, you know. But anyway, going on to two of the projects that are in the forefront right now, uh, I wrote a script called Crimson Creek, and it's uh, basically a Western film about a serial killer back in, in 1885 and um, so it's it's been a lot of fun crimson like blood yes exactly I get it you get it you get it right <laughs> and um, Sharon uh, I shot a trailer a couple years ago and uh, I've got a lot of attention from it and I've got the money to make the movie for it and we're just in the process of, of trying to cast a really good A-list actor for the lead Yeah. but uh, Sharon Taylor who I know is a good friend of yours a little bit played yeah. an amazing role <laughs> and has a great role in there called Two feathers and um so she's a real kick-ass woman in, yeah. in that film so she's got a strong character so i'm just looking forward to to making that one if not this fall then uh, next year because i've got another one in the pipeline that's uh this far from hitting the green light 
Um, we're just signing the paper on the financing and stuff like that. It's called Mexican Radio. Mexican Radio. So this this film came to me about four years ago from a producer friend of mine. And, um, you know, you get a, in, in our business, you get a lot of scripts and it's like you read the ones that you know are going to pay you. You know, I mean, we got to make a living. Mm-hmm. So the ones that don't have any money behind them are, are a big maybe, a big question mark on them. You kind of put them on this shelf over here yeah. or stash them away in your computer somewhere and I'll get to it one day. And you forget and you forget, forget. So this uh, producer called me, hey, Lash, did you read Mexican radio yet? No, no, I haven't. Oh, you're going to want to direct it. You're going to love it. You know, you got to read it. So three years later, I finally get around to reading the script and I wrote him right away. I said, I love it. I love it. Three years later. Yeah. Sorry, but I've been busy, you know. And um, I said, but I want to make a few changes can you talk to the writer can I get my fingers in there can I he says well what do you want to do I said I said um, so it's an Italian mafia movie right and I and I said I want Russell Peters to play the lead and he goes Russell Peters isn't he East Indian I go yeah he goes how's that work and I said like this and I pitched him the idea and, and basically Russell Peters as a kid gets left behind in Las Vegas uh, his family loses all their money and can't bring all the kids home, so he's he's the one that gets left behind, and he's, uh-huh. he ends up in an orphanage in Vegas. An Italian family comes in to adopt, and uh, there's two boys. All the rest are girls. And the, the father, this Italian guy, wants to uh, to adopt this little white boy, uh, Jimmy, who's who's uh, Sanjay's best friend. But the mom wants, oh, no, I want this little brown one. He's like chocolate. I want him, you know. So she gets what oh, she God. wants, and they, and they adopt the little East Indian boy. Now he's raised up what he didn't know but the the guy is the don of the italian mafia so he's raised up in the italian mob and he becomes one of the top hitmen in the italian mafia oh my god and he reconnects with his best friend jimmy and they're they're two peas in a pod and he's going to go do a hit in mexico and it takes jimmy along because they're going to go on a vacation afterwards but little does he know that the the italian mob is wants to kill him because he's a made man and he's east indian so you know they hate him the, the Yakuza is after him because he ended up killing one of theirs and then they squealed on him and said who killed him so they're after him and then when he gets into Mexico the Mexican mafia join forces and come after him as well so there's this crazy shootout in the end and, and all this kind of stuff <laughs> it sounds amazing yeah, it's, it's just and it's crazy funny. It's, yeah it's funny it's gonna oh be funny oh my so gosh. I had to meet Russell Peters and get him on board first before I rewrote the script yeah you know because it's specifically for him and uh, so he loved it. He's on board. And I imagine he has not had the opportunity to play um, a member of the Italian mob all too often <laughs> no, in his no, life. No, and that's why he got a kick out of it because it'll be fun. And yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited and, and I'm, I'm really fingers crossed that all the paperwork, uh, the, the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted and we can get into it this year. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So that's a that's a producing endeavor, a writing endeavor, and, and of course it'll be a directing uh, joy. I think it'll be as much fun to make as it will be to watch. Sounds it sounds bonkers and amazing. Yeah. Um you've done a lot. You you've done a lot of different you like you've worn a lot of different hats, you've been involved in many so many different aspects of production, but is there something, some aspect of production that you haven't been involved in yet that you want to be involved in? Not really. I'm I'm really, really always drawn to the creative side, and so everything I, I want to do is create. And I mean, uh, I'll probably never work as a set decorator or a designer, but I mean that really intrigues me as well. And yeah. I, I work closely with them when I'm directing. I guess yeah, you'd have to right but because yeah. you have to fly through walls and and I'm I'm so I'm so impressed by what they can create and what they can come up with too. And as a director, I lean heavily on them because I'm colorblind, so. You don't want me picking the drapes and you don't want me picking the artwork. You know, you got to pitch me some ideas and, and tell me this is all going to match and work together. And, and 
then I say, yeah, looks good to me. I like it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I definitely, it's a team effort, no matter what job you're in, whether it's stunts all the way up to directing, producing, writing, it's a team effort and, and nobody is the main person. I mean, you have to be a leader as the director and run the ship, but you gotta, you gotta accept ideas and, and things from your cast and crew. And that's yeah. what makes it good. I mean, when you start your day and you've written something and now you're directing it and the stunt people show up and the actors show up and your crew shows up and they're all bringing their A game and now all of a sudden you got something happening in front of the camera better than you imagined when you wrote this and it just blows your mind and you walk away at the end of the day and go wait a minute that was a dream mm. and now it's a reality and it's it's been documented forever it's just crazy the process blows your mind yeah. and every time I just never get over it Okay, I was going to ask you about some specifics of those moments then. Like when like when was the last time you had that moment of wow, what the fuck? This is actually my life. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, I mean, this sounds too easy of an answer, but every time I step on set, I get that feeling. I, I'm always so grateful and because it was my dream as a kid, yeah. I've been living the dream for 30 years now. You know what I mean? It's it's like I've, I haven't worked a day in my life since I quit being a construction worker and working in the oil field and, and drilling rigs and, you know, it's just been a joy. I mean, yeah, I've had some hard times in this business and I've ran into some amazing people and some shitty people. That's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but I tell you, most of it's been, I, I've, I've been so blessed and so lucky. And yeah. I mean, when again, coming back to that question, when I get everybody in front of the camera bringing their A game and doing their thing and they create something that's even better than what I imagined in my head. I mean, it's hard to put on paper what you imagine, write it properly. Yeah. You know, it takes a really good writer to really communicate that on the page. I'm a decent writer and when it comes out better than what I had imagined that I didn't even get on the page, then I'm like just blown away. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I live in a fairy tale. Yeah. I'm, it's magic, you know? So if you could go back in time then and talk to little eight-year-old you, you know, <laughs> wanting to be a, a stuntman, like what, what would you say? You have a minute to give yourself some advice or, or words of wisdom. Or would you say anything at all? Because that's an option too. I wouldn't say anything on the career side of things. Personal life, I would make some changes. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that kind of podcast. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I've I've worked hard and, and it's not always been easy, but um, I earned it and I appreciate that. So I, yeah. I wouldn't change anything as far as telling my eight-year-old self what to do and how to get there. I think um, I was very fortunate to find my path and, and follow it and jump over those bumps and climb those hills and smash through those doors and it's the way it should have been you know you're literally one of the only people though who's talked about jumping and climbing and smashing and has actually <laughs> done those that is not just a descriptive turn of phrase you're not the first oil rigger though we've had no in here. yeah niall mater oh yeah as well worked on the worked on the oil rigs laro chartrand devaye yeah, nice yeah. work. It has been absolutely a pleasure. Where can our our fans find you, follow you on the social media? Oh, my God. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And imdb.com is always the best place to find film people's body of work. Yeah. And there is a lot, endless, endless amount of credits to scroll through there. Honestly, please come back. We have just started the conversation. Sounds good to me. Today. Be happy to. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate you. you having me here. Thanks. Yeah, it, was very, it, was, it was a long time coming. 
and we will continue this conversation again. And to our listeners, I thank you. Please like and subscribe and leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenScene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. And it is edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for reading our Patreon ad. And to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger, we really are a family business, for technical support. And to Dane, not Furminger, Devalet for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!